Well, good morning. And uh, of course, I echo the sentiment about moms. And since you're probably eating at home today, just make sure she's not doing dishes unless she wants to. Well, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, looking at verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Last four verses of chapter 3, the first verse of chapter 4. The last couple of months, as everyone knows, unemployment has skyrocketed uh, due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Many businesses are closed, and too many might be closed for good. I'm guessing your work probably changed. Might be something as simple as the fact that you're working at home now. Uh, It could be that you have reduced hours, reduced pay. Many have lost their jobs. Providentially, with all this work related issues swirling in our society right now, here we are in Colossians studying about our work, our work. And we might think, well, you know, once we're through all this, we're going to be a lot more grateful for our jobs, and that's hopefully true. And yet we all know that we struggle with attitudes at work, and the solution will not be just to have a job or get our job back. The ultimate attitude changer about our jobs is to ask the question, for whom am I working? For whom am I working? So that's what we see in our passage here today, Colossians 3.22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong and there is no favoritism with God. And now verse 1 of chapter 4. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So you'll notice right away the uh, key terms are masters and slaves, which gives us a, a picture of what society was in this ancient Roman city of Colossae 2,000 years ago. It was basically a two-class system in which most people were either masters or slaves, You either were an owner or you were owned. The haves and the have-nots could could not be made more distinct. Masters and slaves. So slaves obey, God's word says. Does that mean that God is endorsing slavery or accepting it as a good thing? It's not saying that at all. It's simply saying uh, God's word to, to slaves of the day was the things you cannot change about your status as a slave Change the way you look at your work. Change who you are serving. Um, It's almost similar to the way that uh, Paul would address in the books of Timothy. You know, if you're poor, 
Maybe as a widow, you should have this attitude. If you happen to be a wealthier Christian, you should have this attitude. These are things that would not necessarily change completely in society, but we can change the way you approach it because you're a believer in Christ. So since slavery is illegal, at least in America, we will find our most accurate application to the workplace, whatever that is like for you uh, today. I think, however, that Paul's reason for addressing this is not simply so that they would have better attitudes at work, but that they would have better attitudes when they met as a church. Because in the same room, every weekend, Sundays, they would gather and there would be slaves and there would be masters. Uh, To make this maybe even more obvious, it's likely that many of the slaves were of a somewhat different race even, probably the result of being conquered by the uh, ruling class of Romans someplace historically. And so even if that was generations before, these status changes didn't happen very often. And so you were kind of stuck. I would imagine that in the town square, socially, you kind of you were separate. You didn't mingle too much. But now suddenly, as believers in Christ, here you are gathering week by week in the same room for the same purpose. Did slaves and masters sit together? Did, uh, did they sing together? Would there be special seating someplace, then that's where the, 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 the rulers, masters would sit, and, and the slaves tended to congregate over there, and then after, after they had had their time of worship and, 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 and sharing of the word of God, did they kind of cluster around, you know, cliques based on economic status? That would have been what the culture expected them to do. But in Christ, Paul is saying, there is no difference. Just looking back in chapter 3 to verse Uh, 11. Here, meaning in Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, these racial distinctions, and then it says slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Going back to chapter 3, verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul has gone to great effort to describe our new identity that our lives are forever linked with Christ and that's why there's really no difference depending on our our economic status but rather the real key is who we are in Christ or we could go to the words that Paul had for uh, the uh, believers as he wrote to the Corinthians if we can get this advanced or I'll just read it for you were you a slave When you were called, don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. So he says, while on one hand we are all equal, I know that your sense of status enters into this. So if you're a slave... Realize now your exalted position in Christ. You're really free in terms of your relationship to Christ. And if you happen to be this freed person and a master, would you just recognize that you're actually like, it's like you need to understand slavery better because you are a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. There is to be a whole new order that is in our mindset 
as a part of the body of Christ. I really think that we at Open Door Bible Church do a pretty good job in uh, terms of ignoring earthly status. I'm wondering if one of the advantages we might have is that we tend to be a church that is a combination of a lot of different communities. And so we didn't all you know, grow up together like they might have in Colossae or even uh, in my hometown in, in Kansas. You know, we kind of all grew up together. And, and so we tend to be a church where we don't all know, you know who was first string quarterback 20 years ago and, and who, who owns a business. And we kind of come into this thing just, just seeing each other for what we are. But the thing is, we need to get to know each other. And so these kind of details will be part of our knowledge of one another. And so then it's healthy spiritually to remember to ignore earthly status and exalt or, or heighten our awareness of who we are, our identity in Christ. I don't know if you've experienced this sometimes, but sometimes people in a church setting, when we're, we're not, now our commonality is spiritual, but, but, but you can be intimidated maybe sometime if you perceive at least that you're talking to somebody who's maybe very wealthy or, or, or owns a big business. And, and on the other hand, sometimes a person can, who, who maybe owns a business or, or knows that people perceive them that way would kind of wish to almost keep it hidden because it's almost like awkward, like, you know, do they treat me differently because they think I have a lot of money? The point is we are to ignore earthly status and see how far more important is our relationship to Christ. And so, in Colossae, where they could not change their status, they could not ignore it, they were sitting in the same room, your master, six days a week, is now sitting beside you, singing the same song, it says you can't change your status, so change your focus. To what? Pleasing Christ. So all of this really, in a sense, prefaces our understanding of, of this work relationship. Go back to verse 17, a couple of weeks ago, as we were looking at this foundational statement about refocusing everything we do. It says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, does that include Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Obviously it does. Everything you do is everything you do all week. So please, Jesus, in whatever it is that is part of you and what you do. So now applying it to slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. So even go down to the details of everything you do at work. So your earthly masters is, is interesting uh, clarification because it's the word flesh according to the flesh. In other words, the master that has skin on, okay? He or she, if you're thinking of your work setting, the one with skin on is the one you're supposed to willingly subject yourself to and, and, and follow. Now, we realize that's not your real boss because the real boss is Christ. Do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. It's the Lord who you serve. So we know our purpose is to please Christ. So make sure you obey the one with skin on even though you know that your ultimate boss is Jesus. So this, this would be, have come to the household slave. The household slaves would be you know, preparing the meals and, and, and doing the dishes and taking out the garbage and watching the babies and weeding the garden. 
The agricultural-oriented slaves might be wrestling behind a, a, a plow and behind the oxen and, and, and cleaning out the stalls, and they, they, they might be uh, swinging a pick uh, axe as they, as they make a trench for the latrine. And, and so all these different things you're thinking of are all week long, but this is serving Christ. What if you have a, what if you have a boss who's really mean? Peter addressed that uh, because so many of the, of the epistles do mention something about our work relationship. says, even if you suffer at work, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. That's a, that's a real adjustment when they're being mean to, to picture yourself as, as, as wanting to, to willingly... Follow them. Peter, how can I do that? A couple of verses, it's all part of the same paragraph and subject. But if you suffer, meaning at work, for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. In other words, think vertical. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, the cross, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So it's mind-boggling to think that the pattern we are given for work is to consider ourselves, if we suffer, and to whatever degree we suffer, to whatever degree work is hard for you, you're just following Christ. Suffering is part of the job. So maybe we don't really like to hear that, but it transforms our mindset to know we're, we're following Christ even in the most difficult situations. Does that mean that we can't quit our job? Well, many times, in a, in, a, in a more free society like this, we actually can quit our job if, if things are too unbearable, but picture the Colossians. If you were a slave, you were a slave, except in some unusual circumstances where you could uh, work yourself into a free status. So when you cannot change your suffering, change your focus, change bosses, so that you begin to understand that, that you really do have a different boss and you are seeking to please him instead of the one that's difficult to work for. Every job has something hard. And this would apply, obviously, not just to, to uh, paid work, but unpaid work. If you're, if you're a volunteer at the church, a volunteer in the community, if, and especially if you're a stay-at-home mom, you guys know, you, you're outworking most of us. Whatever is hard, whether it's because of who you're working for or accountable to, or because of the nature of the work, do your work as unto the Lord. In everything, the verse tells us. The details, things like integrity. Think slaves ever were tempted to take home some of the, uh, the food that wasn't meant for them. When you're on a business trip, are you tempted to, to pad your expense account because everybody else is and the company has plenty of money? Integrity is everything. What about the quality of the work? If, if, if the part you're producing was to end up uh, you know, at your, on, on your friend's vehicle, would you be proud that, that you produced the part? And then it says, don't, don't work hard just to impress the boss. Not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor. 
Nothing's changed in 2,000 years, has it? The boss is coming. And productivity surges. There goes Smith. He's the yes man. He's angling for the promotion. People pleasing. What's the opposite of people pleasing? And that's what this, this word says. It, the opposite of people pleasing is Christ pleasing. But rather it says with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. That's what changes everything, to know that Christ sees everything. So it's not a matter of the boss in the room or the camera in the corner of the room, because there is no need for cameras when we are pleasing Christ. Sincerity of heart speaks of quality of work. That I want to do my very best. It's my, it's my heart's desire to do the best. Why? In reverence for Christ. And so suddenly my, my standard of excellence is, is based on my view of the supremacy of Christ, which is the, the, the point. So he sees the quality of my work, and that's, that's why I'm going to go over the, the, the presentation extra carefully. That's why I'm going to look at the, at, the, at the sketch that I've made very carefully, make sure it's all the best quality possible for the Lord. There's another reason why that is so important, and that is because we represent Christ everywhere, and we spend probably more hours at our job than in any other setting. Paul addressed the work issue both in Titus and uh, the books of, uh, book of 1 Timothy, describing how our work impacts the gospel. So to Titus, he, he, as he led, he said, Titus, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, taking stuff home you shouldn't, and to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So this has a Christ-centered, a gospel-centered purpose that we can make the gospel attractive. When he wrote the same similar thing to, uh, to Timothy, he emphasizes like the, the negative possibility. Let all who are under yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching, meaning the gospel, may not be reviled. So you could actually have a, a negative impact. Eternity is impacted by what we do at our jobs all week long. We kind of sometimes picture that, you know, when we're at church, we're in a sacred zone, then we, Monday morning, we go to the secular zone. We, we, we've often reminded ourselves in, in various areas of life here that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. So, so at our job, we ask ourselves uh, important questions like this. Are you good to work with or difficult? Do people say, yeah, I'd like to team up with this person? Are you honest? Or you deceive by omission, maybe, or exaggerate? Are you diligent when no one's watching? Because, in fact, usually your coworkers are. Are you a gossip or trustworthy with information? Can you be, can you be brought into the loop because they know that it'll stay there? The humility issue. How well do you take advice or criticism? 
Do you return calls and emails promptly? Sometimes that can be really irritating, right? I know sometimes I forget something. Do coworkers trust your work quality, whether it's somebody that's working beside you that's kind of dependent on you or, or, or some boss who's going to be taking a look at it later? And does your boss need to check up and make sure that you follow through? Important ways that we either will honor Christ so that the gospel message upon which the core of our life is based to the degree that the people around us know about that, the gospel looks better or it looks worse. You are probably the Christian that someone knows best. And because of the hours you spend at your job, it's probably some of those people who would know you best and thus create a view, a perspective on what Christ might be like. So it's a, it's a big deal. Some in Colossae and elsewhere would have had Christian bosses. Christian bosses. So then, does that change anything? Paul told Timothy, don't take advantage of them. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So it it was considered fortunate if your boss was a a believer, if 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 your master was part of the church family as well. And you can see how that could have happened. Um, Acts 16 describes how the, the head jailer uh, was saved. It's a dramatic story there of how uh, he, was, he was saved, it says, and his household. And his household there probably refers to more than his wife and kids, but it's all the people who worked for him. And so there was this movement of God, and, 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 and they all put their faith in Christ, and, and so they all become part of the church in Philippi, and but that means that now they are sitting there together. And, and so there would be a temptation sometimes when you work for a Christian that, you know, this doesn't really matter because after all, right, we're equal, we're, body, we're in the body of Christ, we're buddies, right? No, you've got to remember, no, I'm still seeing him as somebody that I need to respect. So the bottom line, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Another reference to the heart, your, your motive. The reason you work so well that you're appreciated at your job is because you are working for a new boss. And it suddenly like opens up your whole life. Because it's not like you can, that the church is like a retreat. It's the only place that I can really, you know, be involved in the work of God. And I think sometimes as we, as we picture that, you know, the church is closed to these public meetings now, like, oh, we, I, I can't really serve God now because that's where, no, this, this is where we come to be refreshed and I can't wait to get together, but we're really working all week long for Christ just like we were before. It's radical to think that we're working for the Lord and not for men, but it's so refreshing to realize that now there's a whole new understanding of what we do all day. And so suddenly that pallet of boxes is important and, 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 and the document, the 
you're working on or the presentation or, or the sketch or the sales call or whatever it is that you do becomes spiritual. It becomes spiritual. I, 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 we need to develop a biblical uh, theology, if you will, of work. You see, God is a worker. If you start out reading the book of Genesis, you find that he worked six days and then he rested. He worked and then he turned over his work in creating the Garden of Eden to Adam. And he said, Adam, I want you to work it. I want you to cultivate it, Genesis 2, 15. And so there, there was from the beginning a, a sense that, that work has value, physical work, doing stuff that's got to be done. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 18 to 19, which says, so, the whole book says so much about uh, work, it says, it's good to eat and drink and enjoy one's labor. Enjoy your job. Why? Because this is a gift from God, wrote Solomon. Or even as we've been studying Colossians, we saw in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, Jesus Christ is the creator of the world, but then it says he's also the one who holds it all together. We call that he's the sustainer of the world. How does he sustain the world? He uses men and women who are working to sustain the world that he wants to keep held together, sustained. So you are how Christ sustains the world. Now, if your job is uh, producing cocaine uh, or pornography, then uh, you might want to quit your job because that's not helping Christ. But if your job is making machinery or selling cars or programming computers, designing something or styling hair, you are sustaining the earth, especially the hair stylist these days. I'm fortunate to be married to my hairstylist. This, this virus has created uh, kind of a fuzzy and artificial line we call essential work. And, and uh, all sides of the discussion realizes that really all work is essential because the whole economy suffers when we can't all be working. So Medical, I understand, medical workers and uh, those in the food production line are obviously uh, top of the list right now. And I, I thank you for working. Many of you are working far more and with far more pressure than ever. But really, all of us will benefit when we're all able to work. So why do you work? You work, you say sometimes, well, I owe, I owe, right? No, it, it's honorable. You, you, you work to provide for your family, but there's even a higher calling. Your actual job, your actual work is pleasing to Christ and is accomplishing what Christ wants to get done. So stop demeaning work if you've had that, that, that uh, idea sometimes. And, and when the alarm rings, it rings for you to please Christ today. Working for the Lord and not for men, verse 23. Verse 24, for you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. The, the, the stakes grow even greater 
You'll receive a reward. Now, our first impulse might be that, oh, thank you, there's a Bible promise that I'm going to get the big raise and promotion that I've been uh, waiting for. But is that what it's saying? Is it saying that, uh, you know, finally your bosses are going to realize how brilliant you are and how much the customers love you and how much you're responsible for the company's success and they really want to cut you in on, on really being generous with the profits? Yeah, maybe not. It could happen. That's probably not what this is saying. You'll still probably get paid. You do your work very well, and you might still get this to exactly what's on your contract and hardly any credit for what you do and, and, and too much blame for any mistake you make. That's good. This is saying there is eternal reward for earthly work. Did you know that? Eternal reward. There's a common misperception about work in the Christian world. A false dichotomy. And that is that there is spiritual work and there is non-spiritual work. And there's a perception then that, you know, what, what, what God is able to reward is when we do spiritual work. So that puts, you know, puts us pastors and missionaries. We're, we're at the top there because we can spend all week doing stuff that's spiritual so that, that, that God really is, is pleased and, and rewards someday. And we're, you know, the rest of you, you're just kind of stuck with just, you know, you, 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 come, you can do a little bit of work, you know, you teach a Sunday school class or you do this other personal thing, and that's probably, no, that's not true. Everything, go back to verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would God really leave out what you do five, six days a week when it comes to eternal rewards? No, everything. And so if we didn't catch that in verse 17, he spends this extra paragraph or two to tell us. And if you didn't get it in verse 22, that you're doing it in reverence for the Lord, then read verse 23, which says it's working for the Lord, not for men. If you didn't get it in verse 23, verse 24 says you're working for the Lord and not, it's the Lord Christ who you, see, who you are serving, and it's the Lord Christ who will reward you. He said, I really want you to know that everything you do is to please Christ and is rewarded by Christ. What's the flip side of rewards? The flip side of reward is uh, accountability. And so he says in verse 25, anyone who does wrong, again the context is work, will be repaid for his wrong, <clears throat> for his wrong and there is no favoritism. So God disciplines <clears throat> unfaithful workers and bosses, that reference to favoritism, and that brings us then to masters in chapter 4, kind of an unfortunate uh, chapter division uh, many years later, but it's all kind of part of the same thought. So God has, 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 has a criteria of faithfulness and diligence and integrity, and it's true of everyone. He will reward, but he will also hold us accountable, and he'll hold our bosses accountable. So if you're going through something that is uh, unfair, at work. You, you're not getting the credit you deserve, you're getting the blame you shouldn't, uh, the pay scale, the, someone else took your commission, whatever it might be, realize that someday God in some way uh, holds all in account and rewards all who are faithful. And, and sometimes we have to realize that that's about our unfaithfulness too, and that God holds us accountable if, if we are not faithful. 
slaves. So, a Christian working for others must work to please Christ. What about bosses? Masters? Christian bosses must realize that they also are serving Christ. Who is their boss? Masters, verse 1, chapter 4, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. You're the boss, but you're not the boss. You are accountable to Christ. So do, masters, do what is right and fair. However, you have those first two terms. The, the, the term right is the word righteous, and it's more of a sense of intrinsically, or you could even say vertically right. It's, it, God would say that, the, that what you're doing as a boss is, is right in the way you treat those working for you. Uh, labor and, and management historically have always been at odds to some degree because... Uh, very simply, it's a sinful world, and uh, we're all selfish. And so a worker wants to be paid more to help take care of his needs, her needs, family needs. And uh, management wants to keep labor costs low to, to uh, increase, increase profit. It's just the natural uh, tension. But God is calling those who are believers to find what is right, so in other words, it's not what can I get by with, how cheap can I be, if you're the boss, but what would be right. And oftentimes that means to be more, more generous than I would naturally be. But on the other hand, this next word, fair, is a little bit more of a horizontal term. Fair, what is reasonable? You know, th- this is the position. And so, no, the... the the entry-level worker is not going to get paid the same as the, as the man who started the company. So, yeah, we get that. So it's going to be a, but it's going to be fair. It's going to be a, an appropriate and, and probably generous starting salary. Because Christian bosses are also accountable to God. Do what's fair. Because you have a master in heaven. Here's the reason. Because you also have a master in heaven. That's why you're accountable. That, the previous verse, there's no favoritism. It's like, there's a hard, as God looks from his position, you're a master, you're a slave. Down here we're thinking this way, and God says, no, no. You're, you're all my, my, my kids in the body of Christ. And you all have me as your master's. Just one more parallel passage in Ephesians saying much the same thing. Masters treat you, again, it's it's Christians because Christians would be the one hearing the letter. Masters treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. So you will treat them the way that would honor Christ. I know that many of you who are watching today are, are leaders at your work. Uh, you have people working for you. Uh, you are people you, you delegate to. You, you hire, you, you fire. Um, you make stuff happen. And you're responsible for the bottom line in some sense, even though you, you, you might still have someone above you or not, but you, you, you are accountable to someone. But you're a leader. 
the, the business owners and uh, managers that I've known here as part of the church through the years, I, I commend so many times. I just sense in their, their spirit that their desire is not just about product and profit, but people. And they really, really care and have cared about those that worked for them that they would be uh, provided for. That's honorable. Because, where does that come from? That comes from a recognition that we are under Christ and that we are serving Christ, whether we are a, a slave, a worker, or a, a master, a boss. I close with a true story. Uh, from history, we know someone that was a master in Colossae, this city, 2,000 years ago. We know his name. His name is Philemon. You may recognize that as a, uh, uh, it's actually the smallest book in the New Testament. The little book of Philemon, and we're going to, in a few weeks from now, when we complete our study of Colossians, take just a little time to look at that very special book. But Philemon attended this church. In fact, Philemon hosted the church. The church met in the house of Philemon and his wife. Uh, the reason we assume that uh, he was a bit more wealthy is that the church would obviously want to meet in a house that had more room, not some real tiny little cottage where you'd all be standing in the kitchen. So uh, the homes of those that were a little wealthier were a little more substantial and would have sometimes two and sometimes three stories. And, uh, and so on the second or third floor, whatever the top floor was, there was less, you know, greater span. And, and so that would be like the dining hall. It'd be where people would entertain. It'd be where people would meet. And so as this letter of Colossians arrived at the church that day, someone will have read it, and you can only imagine, as, as Paul is very specifically addressing slaves, and everybody knows who you are, and he says masters, and their minds would have to obviously go to Philemon, who maybe was standing at the side or back of the, of the room you know, as the host and hostess with his wife. and You kind of always knew who you were. And yet, as, as, as they would have heard this important paragraph, they'd have realized, you know what? We really are one in Christ. And we can all please Christ. Philemon, as a master, and some of Philemon's slaves, maybe serving some snacks that day. We're all serving Christ so that we can all know that five, six days a week, this huge chunk of time that we devote to our work, we are honoring Christ. We are pleasing the new boss. So as you think about your work situation, maybe particularly in this unusual uh, time of our economy, we need to be grateful for our job and, and, and even more though, we need to understand it's an opportunity spiritually to honor our new boss. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have designed this incredible earth that spins on schedule and brings forth new life in spring. And You've created us to work it. You, we produce food. You've given us incredible wisdom to accomplish what we do and to enjoy what we have. I want to pray for our, our, uh, our nation, our world in this troubled economy. I pray that uh, we could soon be back to work and that all those things that uh, um, are being discussed 
somehow you would allow those who desire to work to work. It's your plan. I pray that you would guide each one that uh, finds himself maybe struggling with those who are uh, in charge of them at work or maybe struggling with employees that aren't faithful, whatever the struggle might be, that we would see ourselves that the difficulties of whatever we do is actually that in which we can maybe honor you the best as we come to understand and please you as our boss. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.